welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hey, everybody. What is up? How's everybody doing? Josh, doing Ray? Wonderful. Yeah? Feeling good today? Magnificent. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to ask you all yeah, the, the, you know, consistent weekly uh, question and it was one that I have had asked of me relatively recently and it is uh, what constitutes a good mug so uh, like mm. we all and I'm looking at us right now you can't see us listeners but uh, we I can see them and we all have mugs in our hand of coffee <laughs> or tea or whatever it is so what mm. constitutes a good mug for you like if you're going to spend money on a mug what are you thinking about cat dad Josh's cat dad yeah Some, something <laughs> clever on it um, is good and doesn't have a hole in it and keeps drink warm or cool, whatever. <laughs> so very, very basic <laughs> Low uh, requirements. Bar, but pretty much the definition of a mug. Pretty much the definition of a mug. Set it cold, warm. liquid, amusing. and keep yeah. it warm. Okay. Plus got amusing, got amusing like something. Okay, on amusing. It, you know. Something provocative. Got it. Yeah, cat dad. <laughs> Ray, cat what about dad. you? I like heavy mugs. Uh, here lately, I've been into like the, the hand-thrown mugs. We've got uh, mm-hmm. some local mug places that uh, do their own pottery work, but they're heavy. But Josh already said it. It kind of insulates naturally pretty well. Mm-hmm. So it keeps the, the, and I never thought about this before uh, in this way, but it keeps like, you know, whatever's hot in there hot longer, my coffee, mm-hmm. tea, whatever. So I like, yeah. I like a mug like that. And one that's got a good thumb thing that a good mm-hmm. thumb, you know, the perfect thumb hole. Yeah. That's, that's important. That? I've got a what do you the, mean? The, yeah, the, the handle. The handle. Oh, yeah. okay. I got you. <laughs> and that there's actually on a lot of the hand-thrown mugs, you'll notice they have a thumb peg on top to rest your mm-hmm. thumb. It's for, yeah. Because they're heavy, they provide a little bit of leverage. So I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying that on all my, my pottery mugs. I have small hands, so mm. I it has to have either like a good like handle that I can slip like half of my hand through to really hold a big mug or uh, has to be kind of small enough for me to be able to, to hold with one Get hand, a grip. but also be big enough to hold all the coffee that I require uh, right. as a daily allowance. I have some soup mugs that I drink coffee out of. Mm-hmm. They're, they're designed <laughs> to hold like a standard. They have like the two holes on the side where you like, yeah, they need to because they're just right for about, you know, half a pot, half a twelve cup pot of coffee will yeah. fit in one. It's perfect. I have I have a mug that I use every morning for coffee. Like it is my coffee mug. I use it every morning that I'm at work. So I have my weekday coffee mug, and I have my weekend, and then I have a travel one as well. Wow, so I have a. Am I a drinking lot. while I get ready? Am I drinking it on the couch or am I drinking it in the car? So those are three separate mugs, and they are very traveling mug in style. <laughs> We didn't talk about that. A mug that will fit very well into the console of your vehicle. Mm-hmm. That's important as well. Travel mm-hmm. mug. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Good I have point. three different ones, man. Just got to have it. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm a mug guess, for every occasion. And mu- if you're you know Josh, what? You know, That's a really good segue. Is- mug for every occasion. Also, plants for every occasion, right? Because mm-hmm. we are the Hort Culture, not the Mug Culture podcast. So we are, I promise, talking about plants today. And- Eventually. What right? What we're talking about today stems from a listener bringing it up, and it was something that uh, we were kind of going to roundabout talk about a little bit, and so it gave us some more specifics to think about. And so we're talking about cultivars and 
specific, you know, heirlooms versus hybrids versus all these different things. How do you select the apple tree that's right for you? This sort of sort of situation. And I think a lot of the things we're talking about today are bits and pieces from other episodes that we've talked about, right? We talk about disease, we've talked about insects, but we're kind of bringing all of that in to make good selections for your vegetables or your flowers or your fruit trees, kind of this whole big spectrum of, at least that was my plan. I don't know what you guys were going to talk about. But that's <laughs> that's what I was great. Talk that's about. I've heard of it. <laughs> no, I'm lying. This is the plan. This is the plan. Very, very, a, a, dive in a little bit more into uh, the science, the biology of it all, which is, of course, where you're going to hear me talk the most because I'm. Yeah, I was going to say, Alexis, can, I guess a good place to start would be framing the conversation. Before we talk about selecting specific varieties for like fruit and veggies and other things, there's a lot of garden terms that I see in magazines that I'm getting constantly this time of year. Mm-hmm. Lots of words on there related to specifically like home vegetable gardens. Mm-hmm. But can you kind of throw out some common terms there and go over those so we can get started off on the route track, Alexis? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think first... I. I always think of things right as a timeline, point A to point C kind of thing. So I think it's easy to talk about heirlooms first, and heirlooms are a very big buzzword that we talk about right now. And Good so these stuff. are yeah. sort of like the word natives, right? That the word heirloom often to me is people who love natives love heirlooms. They they seem to go together. But these are these varieties of fruits, vegetables, whatever. Uh, if you know, there's flowers. There's all kinds of these things that have been around have been grown and cultivated by humans for a long period of time and they have very reliable stable characteristics to them so uh, if you go by like purple cherokee tomato seeds it's a very popular one or pink brandy wine or ones we hear a lot you're going to keep getting pink brandy wine now granted tomatoes are pr- mostly self-pollinated so that's that's the reason why they're not crossing with a bunch of other things but these are ones that, you know, your grandparents grew, as an example, like uh, it, are what we think of heirlooms. And then we get into where I see the most confusion are hybrids versus GMOs. And so uh, those are two very different things. So hybrids are crossing. And I like to give the ex- a, a example of like a golden doodle. So to make a golden doodle a dog, right, you have a poodle and a golden retriever and they mom and dad come together and they make a little golden doodle, right? That golden doodle is a hybrid of its parents. And the same can be true. We have been hybridizing plants for thousands of years. It's and they've just, been hybridizing themselves. They've yeah. been hybridizing mm-hmm. themselves, right? Usually when we say hybrid, we're referring to human interaction there. But like right. technically speaking, right, a watermelon that accidentally crosses with a cucumber because they are, they can cross, they're both cucurbits. The product of that would probably not be anything very tasty, but it is a hybrid of its parents, right? So that is what a hybrid is. And we often see names like in those seed catalogs, uh, we'll see the names with like some numbers next to them, like F1, Mm -hmm. H1, things like that. And that is just a way of identifying that it's a hybrid. And so then we talk about GMOs, which are genetically modified. And so that would be like, instead of a poodle and a golden retriever crossing, we are taking a poodle and we are inserting squid genes so that that poodle can change colors, right? So we are modifying it at a DNA level. Most of our vegetables are not GMO. Uh, So, and you would certainly mm-hmm. know that. So I just want everybody to like, I get a lot of people who are very concerned. They're like, oh, I don't want hybrids. I don't want that bad. And I'm like, people have been hybridizing plants since, you know, like 
that's how we got here. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like pink brandy wine, the tomato, that's an heirloom. We consider it an heirloom now probably was a hybrid at one point. Well, it was because tomatoes have been bred and cultivated from wild nightshade plants. So technically our heirlooms were at one time hybrids, but we, (laughs) I digress. I I get very um, emotional about that. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, you mentioned like on a seed variety, it'll say like F1. Mm-hmm. For yeah. trivia's sake, what does the F stand for? I don't know. I used to know that. I don't know that now. I'll be honest Josh with you. Knows so, that. I hope Josh well, knows and that I don't look like a complete idiot, just blank airspace on here. Right, right. Uh, filial, which, uh, yeah. Uh, no, filial, it means of or due filial. from a son or daughter. But uh, the F1, also the one means the first generation of crossing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. there's yeah. this association with when you take two things that are different and breed them together, that very first mm-hmm. generation gets what they call hybrid vigor. And you kind of tend mm-hmm. to get tends to be the uh, best, the best yeah. of the both, uh, the best of both worlds. The F1s are right. like the super crosses. They're, they're like the good original OGs. And so sometimes you'll world. see like F2, which would be mm-hmm. the golden doodle crosses with another first generation golden doodle and gets, you know, a second generation. Maybe golden not doodle. In quite as much hybrid vigor. In right. Some and so in some we, which leads me to pointing out that you can often, unless it's a uh, patented save seed uh, from, mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit about seed saving today, but save seed from those hybrids, but they are not usually as good because of that hybrid vigor. We're not getting the best traits of mom and the best traits of dad. Uh, we're getting the, the, mediocre traits of the child and now right. i feel bad about myself so <laughs> yeah that that first generation of vigor uh fades away and then you know you're mm-hmm. starting to get yeah just kind of uh, less less emphasis on the best of both worlds and more emphasis on just kind of what is the, the way i've had it put mm-hmm. to me you don't live in the castle anymore you live in the village after a while <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. yeah yeah i suppose and well, then so, so uh, you know what you do can they hybridize your own plants yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. I get excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, so would you say that the alternative to open to um I just gave away the game there, but the alternative you to did. hybridized would be open pollinated. And what does that mean? Yeah, so open pollinated would be that nature is essentially doing that hybridization for you. So it's like wind or insect sometimes, um, you know, it could be water, whatever it is. It's taking the pollen from this one plant and bringing it to uh, the stamen of the other. And so. Or the same, the same, like, like an heirloom, like heirlooms being open pollinated because they're just breeding mm-hmm. back to the same variety. Right. So they but stay not, the same, I guess. Not yeah. all plants are, this is where it kind of starts to get confusing. Like technic, not all plants need open pollination. So mm-hmm. corn, as an example, is wind pollinated. So it can mm-hmm. cross, which is why when you're planting heirloom corn, you need to be careful that, you know, if you're mm-hmm. surrounded by someone growing grain corn, you don't want your grain corn uh, neighbor to pollinate your good sweet corn uh, because <laughs> you're uh, going to have really gross corn, right? So even though you planted <laughs> sweet corn, it can cross and, you know, you're eating corn seeds, right? Let's remember. Right, right. Um, so it can be not as good. So you want sweet corn to pollinate sweet corn, but not all plants need that. So tomatoes, as an example, uh, which is why it's a lot easier to save seeds from something like a tomato because they are mostly self-pollinated sometimes you get a bee that goes in there and gets you know gets in there a little early before uh, that happens or you yourself can cross and hybridize uh, plants 
But open pollinated, we see a lot with like cucurbits, you know, your zucchini, like I said, can cross with a cantaloupe technically if you wanted it to. And so that's why people um, tend to use row covers if they're collecting seed uh, and more careful with those open pollinated type plants. And that has a big impact on, and seed savers I find are pretty good about, if they're effective seed savers, then they've been doing it for a while. They really know what they can and cannot save out of their garden effectively. And even if they're doing something like a sweet corn, they're very careful to only grow that variety in a small space. If they have large acreage, of course, they could grow two different sweet corn varieties that are isolated enough through space to still keep those true to top. But uh, most gardeners, I find that if they are seed savers, are pretty knowledgeable in this discussion that we're having today. It's the seed savers. I love talking to them. I mean, the tomatoes and peppers that come back more true to type, uh, you know, that's more commonly saved. But when you get into vine crops and things like corn, uh, much more care needs to be taken Mm -hmm. to keep two distinct parents from crossing because that's essentially what's happened, what's happening there. And and Alexis, I want a golden doodle seed. Uh, I want, uh, you said that crossing. Uh, I'm seeing this golden doodle seed. Is that like a donut seed? We joked about that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's, it makes the most sense for people. Like dog breeding is such a, yeah, like, right. a normal thing sense. or horses or whatever. Um, and so example. I use golden doodle because those two like are very different. Uh, it's just very mm-hmm. popular. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. brings like when you say you have a hybrid dog, people would freak out. But like, that's well, they, it is. it's like the, the terminology usually is different for animals. They talk about crossing, right? Rather yeah. than like. Whatever. Hybrid. It should all be the same. <laughs> hybrid vigor is the same. Say you mm-hmm. grow. I, I often find myself because I'm used to talking about plants, corgis. right? Growing crops. Growing, I grow. Oh, yeah. You, they're growing goats out there. And I'm like, oh, mm. I mean, I guess they're technically raising them. But you all know what I mean. So uh, that's how you know a plant person versus a, an animal person. <laughs> But I think also what you will see, and so speaking about seed catalogs and some of these things that uh, you see in there that can be confusing, there's uh, some some other, other than F1, those hybrid names, there's things like uh, All-America Selection. So sometimes you'll see the term AAS, which stands for All-American Selection. Uh, these are winners. So these are plants that have been hybridized. There are no GMOs in this. So this can be anything from your petunias to uh, vegetables, you know, peppers, tomatoes, kind of this really widespread of different things uh, that have been uh, tested around a a region as well as around the United States. And so uh, like an example, our um, Arboretum at University Mm -hmm. of Kentucky does trials for AAS. And so uh, they get these uh, plants sent to them from that organization. And they're, you know, they have to plant them in a certain way because it's research. It's a research trial. And then the Arboretum or, and, you know, whoever is getting these plants, uh, we used to do them at the extension office as well, Mm -hmm. would report back on, okay, uh, they, I, only water them once a week and they did really well or they really need a deadheading or the Japanese beetles attack them, whatever that looks like, how much fruit you got off of them, fruit, veggies, whatever. So there's these research trials done all over the United States on these plants and then there's data collected and then they say to you, hey, this variety of pepper does really well anywhere in the U.S. Sometimes they say it does really well in this region. Uh, and that can be really helpful when you're looking for a plant. You're like, you just it's really overwhelming. When you open a book and there's a hundred different types of peppers, mm. of hot peppers, you know, it can be really 
overwhelming to select the one that's best for you. So sometimes that can make your job a little bit easier because you're like, well, I know it's a regional winner for my area of the of the country, so it's going to be good, you know, assuming you take care of it, that is. There is different levels of winners in there. And I think, what is it, performance, there's the gold medal, and then the regional winners. And every single one of those are kind of the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. Uh, The AAS is such an interesting organization. I think more people know them for their flowers, but they also do vegetables. Mm -hmm. And they're the oldest organization of their type in the U.S. From 1932 on, they've been doing this every single year. I think Kentucky has two listed. Boone County, maybe Arboretum. Mm -hmm. It's associated with an extension service up in Boone County. And then, of course, the U.K. Arboretum that you just now mentioned, Alexis. But such an awesome group. And they're absolutely one of my go-to that I look for when I'm trying to make planting decisions personally even. And it's also a group that I direct a lot of people to, to look for those AAS winners. Mm -hmm. There are 80 plus, you know, trials going on in the U S at any one time uh, from this organization. It's an old organization. They're very well organized and they do a great job. That's all they do. Isn't it? Is, is uh, flowers and vegetables. I don't Mm -hmm. know that they get into anything else. I don't think they do shrubs and stuff like that. I don't think so. So you're looking more at like bedding plants. I think they do some perennials, like herbaceous perennials. They they used to, uh, at least a few of them, but mostly annuals, whether that's vegetable annuals or annual flowers are kind of their predominant ones. But I want to say they have some like AAS echinacea and some some like that. But maybe I'm making that up. Don't quote me. Yeah, I'm not for sure. (laughs) The thing I love about them also is they are not – I've had people approach me and say the AAS company. I'm like, well, it's not a company. No. Another cool thing about them is it's a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So they are, they typically, I consider them almost like the consumer reports of the plant science world as far as trials go and being non-biased. They're not affiliated with any. Right. The non-bias is yeah. really important. They yeah. can often be confused with proven winners, right? Because we hear yes. AAS winners yes. and a lot of people confuse them with proven winners, which is a, a company in itself. So you can buy a proven winner shrub yeah. or tree. So I think that sometimes the confusion, and this isn't to say that only AAS are you know, the good ones. And it, but what is cool is you can look back to see some of the winners over the past, you know, like They've since 1932, so like they long, have them. Yeah. But it's not to say that those are the only ones or even the necessarily the best ones. Those are just the ones that research is being done on. It's um, one good source as you're trying mm-hmm. to make planting decisions. You feel confident. If, in yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. That That's a really good one. That's a really yeah. good one. But for Kentucky, so for extension and, and I have found these for just a I mean, I've found these for North Carolina, all the county states that are surround us. So I know that they have these for states that surround us from the extension services. They probably have them for probably all 50 states, if I had to guess. But I know here at UK, we have a list of varieties for vegetables as well as home fruit. And so when you get into commercial, a lot of them will be similar, but they have different kind of goals and different standards yeah. of how they prune and do things like that. But I think for a lot of our people they're, uh, that are listening in their home or small commercial scale, so, so this can apply to you. But there are some great fact sheets that are on these good varieties that we can recommend because they have things like disease resistance or they are adaptable to our soil. And we just talked about natives and talking about how great natives are. It's kind of like that version for your annual production 
Uh, and I use these a lot. I don't know about yeah, you guys. I use those for references a lot. And one that I'll just throw out that I use a lot. And when you go and find this, you will notice that it's it's vegetable cultivars for Kentucky gardens. And the, the letters to look that up further is ID-133. It's just a publication number that we give things. But once again, it's called vegetable cultivars for Kentucky gardens. You will notice that the last time that that was significantly updated was 2013. Even though it is somewhat dated, it is still super relevant. All of the varieties that are listed there, it may not have the latest releases that are unproven from specific seed companies, but a ton of research went into this publication. I refer to it all the time, even though it's over 10 years old now. Mm -hmm. It is my basis of recommendations for Kentucky Gardens as far as specific vegetable cultivars that are well-tested, tried and true. And as Alexis already said, there's a lot of great information beyond just recommended cultivars. It also goes into a lot of detail. It's one of the reasons that it takes so long to produce this publication, but they go into a lot of detail on the disease package that each cultivar has, what it's resistant to, and the level of resistance in some cases. So a ton of great information. There's lots of, Josh, I know you're going to get excited. There's lots of tables in this publication. <laughs> yes. It's got data organized very well. It's a very dense publication. It's just a few pages, but the, the level of information in this publication is pretty incredible. But once again, vegetable cultivars for Kentucky Gardens, look that up if you're new to gardening or just looking for more information on very specific varieties that do well in our area of the state because all the research that went into this publication is all local to Kentucky for the most mm -hmm. part. So it's a great publication and one that I use every week in the spring. It's a good one. Yeah. And it's it's really got everything. It's got asparagus, you know, kind of all the way through watermelon. And, you know, even just looking through this, like you said, it is 11 years old now, but pretty much all of these that I'm looking at are still available, which is good, right? It tells you that people yeah. are growing these, it's popular. And, you know, maybe there's a couple that's not. And if you're not sure, if you're like, I really want to try this variety, maybe uh, it's an AAS winner or maybe not. And you just see this cool heirloom or something that you want to try because these are mostly going to be hybrids, I believe, on this list. But you can compare and contrast them, right? So you're going to plant a certain, you know, a type of onion that you saw, a new onion variety, and compare it to one yeah. that, you know, we have done research on that says is a good variety for Kentucky and compare and contrast those. And you might find a new one, and that's great. But this can help with the overwhelm that is seed catalogs because I don't know about you all, I still get overwhelmed by seed catalogs and I'm supposed to know Absolutely. what I'm doing. So <laughs> I'm wrong to anything with a, a pretty picture. So yeah, oh, and it'll get you, man. Oh, for a good pictures. picture, but maybe even what the picture doesn't tell you that it's only for sandy soils and very dry environments. If right. you have a wet year, it's going to collapse with diseases. Right. It, it doesn't say that, but it has a pretty picture. So <laughs> some of those are pretty spe specific, but before yeah, we move too deep, I know there's some other publications we can talk about. And one thing I kind of wanted to bring up, is you mentioned heirlooms earlier, Alexis, and we're talking about cultivars here in some cases, cultivated varieties. That's sort of a, you slam the two words together, cultivated variety is cultivar. Hmm. But uh, some considerations for those growers that uh, are interested in heirlooms because there's lots of order sources for heirloom seeds. Uh, we talked about disease resistance, which is part of the information that's in this publication, this garden publication we're talking about currently. But heirlooms are a little different. Is that correct? When If you've never grown an heirloom and you put an heirloom tomato on your garden, you kind of have to be cautious of that and be aware that maybe some of the disease resistance have not been bred into those mm -hmm. heirlooms. Mm -hmm. Heirlooms have a 
bunch of awesome traits. Uh, mm-hmm. I love heirlooms myself, but I know that I have to be kind of cautious and understand that heirlooms may not be as resistant to certain diseases. Did you guys find that to be the case? Yeah, I think we talked about this with uh, sort of natives when we were talking about when you are thinking about what are your goals for planting natives? Like, and there's a lot of breeding that's been done to create bigger showier flowers in native plants. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the, the pass off can be that they are not great nectar sources or, you know, something along those lines. And the same is sort of true that we have seen in heirlooms is that heirlooms usually taste really good. They, um, save their seeds, save really well. Some of them do have great disease resistance, which is where we pull yeah, disease resistance from when we yeah. made these hybrids, right? So it's not to say that all of them are they bad. Not, a tomato may not ship across the country as it, well because right. the wall is more thin. For exactly, instance, exactly. Yeah. And so the goals of those heirlooms and the people who were growing those was very different than a lot of the goals that we have now. Uh, and, you know, our climate has changed from what our grandparents had. So something that may have never gotten a blight when my grandparents grew it, would the same plant would get a blight, and this on maybe even the same farm, uh, because the climate is very different. We're much wetter, more humid than we we used to be, uh, and so you know we know we're in a whole new zone now. We've talked about that before. Kentucky's in zone seven and seven B, uh, where we used to be solid yeah. six uh, six, six A. a and, B, yeah. and so. I'll throw that, another one at you, Alexis. High tunnels and heirlooms. Oh, that's mm-hmm. exciting. Well, that's trial and error <laughs> when you go, because then you're not only dealing with a different uh, moisture profile, you're dealing with a different heat profile. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's trial and error with uh, heirlooms. I know some mm-hmm. information's coming out about which heirlooms you could possibly use, but boy, mm-hmm. that gets really interesting when you try to grow heirlooms in a situation where they have never been tested in. Right. They may do very right. well in a field, in a ho- even on a commercial scale. If you try to take an heirloom that was developed mainly for a home garden planting with eight plants and put that in a planting of two to three, four acres, however many acres, it may not behave the same. That's not to say it's a bad plant. That means you're putting it in a different scenario where mm-hmm. it may not, where it may perform unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So. So just when you're dealing with heirlooms, just know there there may be more TLC needed. So you need to have eyes on the plant a bit more. You can't just let them go because they don't necessarily have the quote unquote immune system uh, that some of our hybrids uh, tend to have now because they've been bred in a newer age with newer climate and things. So I don't know. I Some people tend to get a little defensive when you talk about <laughs> sure. heirlooms like you're mm-hmm. and and don't be because there are plenty of great heirlooms out there that do have good disease and insect resistance. That's where we got it from. We had to get it from somewhere when we hybridized, but also remember that the climate and the area is different than when our grandparents grew it. And so that it's nothing personal. It's nothing personal heirloom people. I love heirlooms. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not, there are benefits to growing some of these hybrids if you need to be a little more hands-off or if you're organic, right? We don't have as many sprays. You know, maybe you're growing in a high tunnel where you don't have as many options, whether organic or not, on what you spray. So you really need that disease resistance. And I think it's especially important when we start talking about perennial plants. Uh, so when mm-hmm. we start, to, we also have a publication from, it's a little bit newer, 2019 on home fruit varieties. And so we go through, I mean, we don't recommend almonds here, but technically it says almond on there and it says we do not recommend them here, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but almonds, apples, 
And a lot of them are on there that we don't recommend, but they're on there to tell you, hey, we don't recommend this, which can which be very Which that's good knowledge helpful. to have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like may honey save crisp, you some time. Don't grow honey crisp here. I don't know how many times I have to tell people, don't do it. It will never so do sweet. anything. It's so sweet. Don't do it. It's, yeah. But, you know, there's cur- even things like currants, cherries, uh, elderberries, uh, figs. There's a lot of things that we can grow. Uh, and it's, I would say, really important to look for disease resistance on those perennial yeah, crops. Yeah, absolutely. Because they, mm-hmm. they're not moving and they're going right. to be there a while, or at least this that's is, your goal. This yeah. is absolutely my go-to publication, Alexis. That home fruit variety recommendations 2019 that you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the call number for that is Hort Facts 3003. If you're here in Kentucky, if you're not in Kentucky, uh, check with your local extension service in the state that you're in. And the odds are they're going to have something equivalent to this. But this is such an amazing publication to me because it not only contains variety informations and whether or not almonds, we recommend you for growing. <laughs> <laughs> but it also contains something like super important to me, and that's average ripening date in Kentucky. Mm. That's really important for homeowners to know that. And kind of some of the uses for the different varieties. If it's apples, can you use it for sauce and freezing or one or the other? It's all really good stuff to know. It has special comments on each variety that if there's a special consideration or use for that variety. But, man, that's an awesome publication. And there's so much research over so many years went into that publication. But it's a, it's a good one. And I consider that one really up to date as being 2019, even though it's a couple years old, because once again, we're talking about perennials mm-hmm. that don't change quite as often. Um, this is a good one. It is. The and you need, go-to. and you know, you mm-hmm. want, you want that research to show five, 10 years worth of research, right? Because that's the goal with a lot of our trees and our, our perennial fruits and nuts is to have them for that long a time. So you want someone to be like, yeah, after 10 years, it was fruiting just as well as it was. And it's still alive. That's what you want. So that's why you will see much bigger gaps in time yeah. on a lot of mm-hmm. those perennial crops. And but Josh, perennial, you, yeah. you've worked on a pub. Yeah. It's very similar, one, similar to the, yeah, it's similar to the one that Ray has mentioned. It's Hort Fact Sheet 3002, three but is some, is also like a year newer. Uh, it was updated in 2020 and it's, it's focused on, those same fruit and nut cultivars that are recommended for, you know, commercial production in Kentucky, but where to find them as far as nursery mm-hmm. sources. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Very like extensive kind of article that um, also there's a companion kind of interactive map to it. So you can open it up and find close sources if that's what you're looking for, but it, it's, it's mm-hmm. a nationwide map. So you can, nice. you know, once you find one of these recommended sources, or one of these recommended cultivars, you can find the source. And it also... And you said that covers and, fruit and nuts, Josh? Fruit and yes, nuts on that? fruit and nuts. Okay. And it also does list the um, disease resistance and stuff like that in it as well. But as far as like, I would say for looking up and finding the cultivar you want, the one that Ray mentioned, and then once you kind of settle on some cultivars, this one is kind of the companion mm-hmm. of where to get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the awesome. uh, veggie one we talked about uh, actually has a list in it as well on uh, Kentucky seed companies as well as catalog seed companies. So if, again, where to find these because that's always the second question. It can be <laughs> right. a lot easier with veggies, uh, but it can be really hard uh, with fruits and nuts to find these kind of specific varieties. And one other thing that I love that we did, we kept talking about disease resistance and you know things that insect resistant things like that. But ripening, so with things like fruit, 
in your vegetables as well, but ripening can be so really important. So the mm. same reason we don't recommend you grow apricots here is because they bloom too early. And with our late frosts, uh, the tree survives. The tree is beautiful, but you will never get fruit off it's of like it. It's like peaches, only worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, one of our one of our specialists, I'm gonna pick on him, uh, Dr. Besson. He has a beautiful apricot tree in his yard that blooms beautifully. Very healthy trees. Had it for ten years. It's never got fruit on it because every year <laughs> those blooms are killed. And you know he's a plant nerd like us, so he he just likes enjoys the tree. But it's something where when you're looking at, as I, I was scrolling through the pub while I was listening, looking at things. That's really important because there are some that won't bloom till late and we may freeze nine times out of 10 uh, and Mm -hmm. you won't get a crop. So maybe staying away from those. Also from an insect perspective, we have uh, an insect Mm. now, uh, we need to do an episode on spotted wing Drosophila, Mm -hmm. which is a tiny, tiny little fruit fly that will get into your soft fruits. So berries are really, really susceptible to them. So the recommendations we have now are very different than the ones we had before spotted wing drosophila, which has only come up in the past like 10 years or so, because Mm -hmm. we only recommend uh, fruits that are being picked before spotted wing comes out. Yes. Uh, And, and, it's not to say that those other plants aren't good. They'll write, they're great. They might adapt really well to the weather, but you're going to have tiny little maggots in your fruit. So if, if you don't spray for them, so try looking at those types of things are also really important when you think about cultivars. And again, if your head is spinning right now and you're overwhelmed, that's why we have great tables for you to look at. Because <laughs> <laughs> it can get really overwhelming to look at it all and piece through those. And then you know, you may have the table and if you come down to a couple of varieties and you're trying to pick between them, that's when you call your extension office. And you say, hey, can I get some opinion about, you know, this one versus this one? Uh, and we can, if we don't know, just because we've done it before, we can, you know, contact a, a specialist who maybe did the research themselves or we can do some more digging uh, for you to help you pick which one's best, especially if you're doing a commercial planting. Yeah, it is a lot to, to take in at one time. And commercial applications are a lot different. The considerations are different. The variety recommendations are going to be different versus homeowners. And along the, that same lines, another publication that I'll throw out, and I don't want to confuse things because what we talked about earlier was the home garden variety recommendations. What I'll mention now is ID 36. That's the Mm. Vegetable Production Guide for Commercial Growers, specifically in Kentucky. It's just been updated. It's updated on a two-year cycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is the go-to information. It's not only variety recommendations, which it does have that in there. It's got Mm -hmm. insect control recommendations, fertility recommendations, and specific crop profiles on all the common crops that are grown in Kentucky. It is the one-stop shop for Mm -hmm. commercial vegetable producers in the state, and it's one of our most popular publications there at the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a smaller number of, of course, commercial growers, but this is the one publication they want every single time. So we have a fruit version of that as well. So if you're wanting to do commercial fruit and Mm -hmm. I will say that, you know, it's one of those, like, uh, I always think of it as like, is it a square versus a rectangle situation where I don't necessarily recommend commercial varieties to homeowners because like Ray was saying earlier, things can behave really differently in a commercial scale. And so, uh, you know, if you're a homeowner, it's not to say you can't grow those, but 
Also, there's a lot bigger of a world open to you if you're going five tomato plants versus 3,000 tomato sure, plants. Yeah. <laughs> Your goals are different. Uh, and so you don't want to miss out on maybe some really great varieties that'll be good for five to 10 because you're looking at the person, the varieties that are recommended for 1,000. And so, you know, for, for you all, I would recommend those homeowner ones just because, like, man, you'll miss out. You'll miss out on some good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the homeowners, there's a lot bigger leeway there. I feel like commercial producers, the, the, like the rubric, I pick on tomatoes all the time, and it's not a bad thing, but tomatoes have to have a cell wall that can stand up to shipping and, you know, packing operations. Whereas a homeowner, that's just not a consideration. And mm. a homeowner may plant a commercial tomato variety and it's fine if they pick it fairly early in its life stage, but they may be surprised if they let it go to full maturity and it's got a very thick wall that they're not expecting versus something like an heirloom ox heart variety or something like that with a very thin wall. But yeah, every variety has its own use. And that's why we try to differentiate on the discussion here. If it's for homeowners or mm-hmm. if it's for commercial producers, it's always good to know that. So, yeah. One thing we've not touched bases on here in the discussion and something that is pretty unique to uh, the extension service is uh, what we call the horticulture research reports. Uh, oh, yeah. I need to mention that here. Uh, just because it is actually new, new, new knowledge, it's uh, oftentimes knowledge, well, it is knowledge that is generated through the Cooperative Research Extension Program in your state. And in our case here in Kentucky, we have these reports that come out um, pretty often. I don't know, guys, do they come out every year? I don't see them every year, the research reports, the the most recent one, and there may be one that's more recent, the most recent one that I have printed there at my office, I think it's 2021, but lots of great information in there. And all the information that's generated in there, it goes beyond varieties. Uh, The last time I referred to one of those, I think I was looking up, you know, salt mitigation in high tunnels. There was a Mm -hmm. whole research, you know, uh, report on that, but it's report on new information from research that was done through our organization. That's pretty exciting to me because it's information that you're not going to see online right away mm-hmm. that you're going to commonly find by, you know, using your favorite search engine. Uh, but you can get that information a little bit quicker by calling our office and requesting, uh, in this case, the fruit and vegetable annual research report, the most recent one that we have. Lots of great information in there. Uh, it covers fruit and vegetable production, tree and shrub production, greenhouse and floriculture production, and Uh, Landscape horticulture is the last category. That's kind of the four big categories they cover. And that's exciting information because to me, because it is is new and fresh information. Right. So So it's not necessarily you're going to that for something very specific. Uh, You're going to see what it has to offer. So I think that that's a way. Producer, yes. You're probably reading those with interest. You're looking at the top. What you can change or what you can update. If you look up uh, the one from 2016, you will see one done by yours truly. So just. What was that piece? that you did in the 2016 one. Yeah, Yeah. so I looked at alternative media sources for hydroponic cucumber production in a greenhouse. That was my master's research. Yeah, Yeah. high-level stuff. Yeah, I almost died when I... <laughs> with the sulfuric acid. <laughs> oh, I should not um, laugh. I take it back. Somber, somber. Yeah, time. I had sulfuric acid blow up in my face. So, oh, gosh. Uh, fun fact cool. about that. But uh, <laughs> was that one I'm of those like fine. adding things in the wrong order? Like yep. adding. Yep. Yeah, no one okay. told me. No one told me when I was prepping my because it was hydroponic production, right? So you're you give the plant everything that it needs, and uh, we were looking at cedar mulch. So the I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic, but 
I mean, I spent a lot of my life Traumatic in that greenhouse. Mm-hmm. So just fun right. fact, uh, we looked at something just like a basic potting mix and versus a more of a barky media that uh, actually it's, I think it was called barky beaver, a uh, more of a oh, barky yeah. landscape mm-hmm. nursery type media. <laughs> yeah. Remember that big mm-hmm. pile at South farm? Yeah. And then in comparison to like a strip cedar mulch by, you know, just literally the stuff that came out of a, a mill, uh, just yeah. their, their crap pile. And so looking at, <laughs> can I grow, you know, cucumbers and a hydroponic way in these different medias and, you know, because those medias, media is really expensive. And so how do I get better and coconut core, I think was the other thing we used. Mm-hmm. But anyways, if you would like to read up about that, the 2016 crop 2016 research report, version. you can yeah. read mm-hmm. on that and you can find my, my data. <laughs> and that's what it is. It's lots of data on all these, on yeah. all these research products. And I always find those interesting when one of those, we get a, a flag on email that one's available. I go and kind of page through that. I'm not always interested in every single topic, mm-hmm. but there are always topics. I'm like, oh gosh, they're, you know, they've, they're reporting on results from something that's never been done before, or there's very little information. And that's pretty exciting to me as kind of a, a field facing practitioner, you know, in extension, we work mm-hmm. with actual producers out in communities. It's pretty exciting to me because it gives us more tools to work from. So mm-hmm. it's good information. It's not only available to us the, as uh, extension agents, but it's also available to folks out in communities. But uh, you can find them online or you can request a copy through your local extension office. Either way, they are they can be some somewhat thick, somewhat substantial. So you may want a printed copy. You can, you can request those either way. And if yeah. your county agent doesn't know what those are, find us and we will get them for you. <laughs> they will know what they are. I'm just teasing. But yeah. sometimes it's we don't deal with them a it's ton. It's not frequently requested. It's, yeah, it's not we frequently don't requested. A, no, they're so, not. So uh, just remember, requested. you can always contact us at hortculturepodcast at l.uky.edu. Again, that's in the show notes. And you can shoot that email and we will just send you a link to that. Or if you yeah. need a mailed a paper copy, we can mail you one. So that's not a problem. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but that's exciting. Well, anything else? Any questions that you all might have as as listeners, if you all have questions about varieties or you're not sure what some letters mean or something like that, you can always uh, reach out again to your local county extension office or you can reach out to us on Instagram or via our email. Uh, we say this all the time, but we really do mean it. And when people have reached out and said, we want to know about native plants or we want to know about uh, varieties and all these cool things, you know, we try and try and hit those needs. And a lot of time they're already on our list, which is always exciting because we get to bump those up to the next you know, next most uh, episode list, but uh, any other thoughts you guys have? No, I love the discussion. I mean, there's got to be some way of making decisions for what to plant, when to plant and how to plant. And Mm -hmm. these are just some of the tools that we use and that we recommend for others. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of other sources of information, but these tend to be local that we gave you today, highly researched. So we, we feel pretty sound about the recommendations that we've mentioned today. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So go with those recommendations, but then pick something to experiment with. Because that's oh, the fun, yes. right? Every year I try and pick something different to experiment oh, absolutely. with. It keeps things fun and interesting. And sometimes it's really good. And sometimes you're like, wow, that was garbage. I should trust my extension agent. <laughs> um. <laughs> sometimes I always try new varieties, uh, varieties that we have no information on that's brand, brand new. I want to 
I'm going to be on the forefront of that in my home garden. I would not necessarily say make that statement commercially, but in my home garden, it's like the island of Dr. Moreau out there. And there is, <laughs> it's like a zoo. There's one of everything and it's nothing matches. So yeah, I have a zoo in my backyard and I love it, but that's part of the fun of gardening. So. I call those my pet plants. Anytime I buy something for the farm that is like, I'm going to just experiment with it. And if it goes wrong, it's okay because it's my pet plant. Um, it's fine. <laughs> that's it's that's fine. how I, uh, I I need like a line item in my budget for my business of, of pet plants. Uh, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't do that with your Labradoodle, though. Don't do that with that, the, the earlier example that uh, Alexis threw out. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Labradoodle, Golden Doodle, whatever it is. You know, yeah. nothing wrong with that. I have a straight species corgi, uh, personally speaking. Oh, and, um, <laughs> Josh is a hybrid cat. (laughs) Right. Your cat was definitely open pollinated. That's for sure. Naturally hybrid. (laughs) Came in on the wind. (laughs) Yes. The wind blew and the cat came in the window. I love it. Awesome. All right. Well, don't forget, always, uh, you can contact us, leave us a review if you want to know something more. Uh, if you just had a lot of fun, if you just want to tell Brett hello, we swap where we haven't kicked him out. He's got, <laughs> he's just got some stuff going on. Uh, but he will be back to join us because he actually does like us, believe it or not. So, or mm-hmm. at least he tells us he does. I assume he's he says so. Yeah. He Let's says so. I believe. Yeah, I or believe. at least he likes talking to yes. you all, the listeners. So, um, <laughs> he's got, we've got that going for us. Thank you all so much for being here uh, with us today. And uh, we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us and that you'll join us next week. Have a good one.